Welcome to Renew. Glad you can make it. And, uh, you know, uh, things are a little different today because, uh, because we like to get up early and worship God even earlier. Things aren't different because of a Seahawks game, but they're different. No, no, no. They're different because we are the church. Amen. And as a church, we don't just do worship to do worship. Or being the church isn't just about a building or a time of day. But being the church is about reaching out and loving our neighbors. It's about loving our city. It's about uh, caring for our neighbor. And one of the ways, so being the church is going out there. Amen. And it's about uh, uh, being with the people. And so we are willing to flex in order to love on people. And in Seattle right now, Everyone's love language is Seahawks, right? And so um, that's why we're meeting earlier. And uh, hopefully as more people uh, come, we'll give them a stink eye for being late and skipping service. Uh, no, we'll hug them and we'll love them. And then we'll cheer for the, cheer for the Seahawks. But thank you for being here. Um, it brings a joy and a teardrop to my eye. Um, but our scripture today... Uh, is from Matthew 6, 7 through 15. And we're actually continuing in our seven-week series called Grow. What does it mean to grow as people? What does it mean to grow as uh, followers of Jesus? What does it mean for us to grow as the body of Christ out there? So we have been talking about things like uh, servanthood. And we've been ta- we talked about compassion. And this week, we're going to talk about forgiveness or the act of forgiving. And so before we get started, I wanted you guys to reflect, uh, take some time uh, to look back in your life or even your present day life and remember a time or think about a time that you've had tension with someone or you've been in a fight with someone or you've had conflict with someone. Um, some of you may be like, that's right now, right? And that's, that's great. You can. Meditate on that, think about that, and just let the, uh, let the images go through your mind. We'll take just two minutes. All right, thank you for that. Chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask. Instead, pray like this. Our Father, who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that you will, your will is done on earth as is done in heaven. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And lead us not into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you. So a big part of uh, this famous Lord's Prayer, which we say in church, uh, many of you grew up maybe saying it around the dinner table or memorized it as a child. And there's a couple of versions, or at least two versions in the Gospels. And this is Matthew's version. a big part of this Lord's Prayer is about forgiveness, right? 
forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us, or you, you may have the translation, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In this common English Bible version, forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And in this version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, he reiterates at the end the importance of forgiving, apparently mandating it, right? At the end, if you give, verse 14 and 15, if you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. But wait a second. Does this mean God's forgiveness is conditional? Right? If we don't forgive other people, God's not going to forgive us. Right? Is God some, you know, person, petty person up there who's like, you're not forgiving people? I'm not going to forgive you. Right? Is his forgiveness conditional? Don't we learn about grace in church? Right? That God's love is unconditional. That his grace is free. We don't have to work for it. Right? It's, it's free grace. So what is he talking about? We have to, is this grace attached to our ability to forgive? If that's the case, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Oh, God forgives me, right? Um, but I think this kind of goes back to how we view sin and maybe our uh, preconceived notions of sin or kind of our paradigms of what sin is. And the question I want to ask us is, is sin breaking a rule or a law? Is sin breaking the rules or going against the law? Or is it about breaking the breaking of a relationship? Is sin about breaking rules or is it about the breaking of a relationship? Because I think we need to recognize um, that sin is a relational dynamic. Sin is a relational dynamic. It's something that comes between you and God, you and another person, between one group of people and another. Not simply a broken rule, not simply a transaction, not simply, oh, you said a bad word. Uh Uh-oh, you were speeding. Dave, you ran that red light. Oh, you hit that guy. I never do that. Um, Here's your soul ticket, right? You did something bad. I'm writing a ticket, right? You sinned. You smoked in church. I don't know who does that, but you smoked in church. You got the munchies the other night, right? Um, And I don't want to throw out action, right? (laughs) Right? There's definitely actions that are sinful actions. Right? But at the core, is it the breaking of or the doing of the action or the breaking of the rule itself that's the sin? No. At the heart of it is to ask the question, why did we do that action? Right? And when we sin, what does that do to our relationships with the relationships with the other person? Right? The relationships with people around us? And our relationship with God. What does it do to our heart? Right? And the Sermon on the Mount, you know, Jesus says, you have heard it say that if 
If you commit adultery, it's a sin, right? But I say to you, if you even look or think about a woman uh, with lust in your heart, that's adultery. Right? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount takes laws and rules and brings it even deeper, right? To be about a heart issue, right? It's not just about that rule or regulation or that Ten Commandments. It's about what's going on in your heart. So if you even lost inside, right, the heart inside, no one sees it. It's not an action. You have committed sin. And so we see that sin is a relational thing. It's, a heart. it's about the heart. It affects the heart. And sin ultimately breaks down relationships. Right? If you go back to the garden, God... God and Adam and Eve were walking together. It said they walked together regularly, hanging out in the garden and talking, right? And when Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God, what was his question? He was out looking for them. He was like, where are you? Where are you, my loves? Right? And they were hidden, and they had leaves on them. He's like, why are you wearing clothing? Are you ashamed? They were ashamed to be open, right? And there was a disconnect um, between Adam and Eve and God, right? So sin drives a wedge in relationships, relationships. So I wanted to set that up first, right? Sin is not about a transaction. And sometimes in Western Christianity, we make it about a transaction, right? Let's, well, I sinned, and then here we go. Let's take it to God. God, forgive me, blah, blah, blah. And like, make sure I pray every single, pray every time I sin, right? And then it's clean, right? It's not about a transaction. It's about walking away from God. It's about denying God. It's about me having tension with Nathan and like talking about him and behind his back. I'm sinning against him because it's a relational tension. Are you guys with me? Um... So let's look, if we look at the passage in the Common English Bible, forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. People wrong each other. We wrong God. We put wedges in our relationships. There's tension. Sometimes the tension is so strong, we never speak to that person again. We never look at that person in the eye. Have you guys had a relationship or a person in your life where you can't look them in the eye anymore? Maybe you're once friends. Maybe you were family members. Right? Maybe they were your girlfriend or boyfriend, your ex-husband or ex-wife. And there once was relationship and trust. There once was you know, intimacy. And now you can't look them in the eye. Now, if you see them coming down the street, you know, you walk the other way. Here's a quote from Friedrich Buchner on forgiving. To forgive somebody is to say one way or another, you have done something unspeakable. And by all rights, I should call it quits between us. Both my pride and my principles demand no less. However, although, although I make no guarantees, I will be able to forget what you've done 
And though we may both carry the scars for life, I refuse to let it stand between us. I will still want you for my friend. To accept forgiveness means to admit that you've done something unspeakable that, that needs to be forgiven. And thus, both parties must swallow the same thing, their pride. This seems to explain what Jesus means when he says to God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Jesus is not saying that God's forgiveness is conditional upon our forgiving others in the first place. Forgiveness that's conditional isn't really forgiveness at all, just fair warning. And in the second place, our unforgivingness is among those things about us that we need to have God forgive us most. What Jesus is apparently saying is that pride is that the pride that keeps us from forgiving is the same pride that keeps us from accepting forgiveness. And will God please help us do something about it? When somebody you've wronged forgives you, you're spared the dull and self-diminishing throb of a guilty conscience. When you forgive somebody who has wronged you, you spare, you're spared the dismal corrosion of bitterness and wounded pride. For both parties, forgiveness means freedom again, to be at peace inside their own skins and to be glad in each other's presence. God's forgiveness is not conditional, but I think Jesus places so much emphasis on forgiving, right? Uh, because if we don't grow in the practice and the disposition of forgiving, our hearts will become too scrunched up, too hardened, too bitter, too closed, too devoid of hope and trust to receive grace and to receive love and receive forgiveness. You can't have it both ways, people. You can't receive the gospel and soak in the grace and love of God and, t and then maintain your grudges against your brothers and sisters, right? If you remember the woman, uh, the sinful woman who anoints Jesus' feet uh, with oil and washes his feet with her tears and her hair, Jesus says of her, she is forgiven much because she loves much. And then he reverses it. Those who love much are forgiven much. And you've, heard, you've also read in scripture that the only unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we're like, what does that mean? Right? I think it means you can't be forgiven if you deny the very uh, process of grace and forgiveness. Right? If you deny the Holy Spirit, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means you're denying the power of change and transformation. Right? And so if you're not even forgiving other people, how can you receive God's love, right? Because it's a condition of the heart. It's a relational dynamic. If your heart is closed off to loving and forgiving, your heart is closed off to God. Or if we reverse it, if you've been at the pit of your life and God has forgiven you, God has loved you, how can you be cold-blooded after that? Right? When something amazing happens to you, when your life is turned around, when God picks you up, don't you just want to love everyone? Right? Isn't your heart just ready to love other people and extend that grace? 
It's like a, our hearts, our souls are like cups. If you pour water in it and it fills up, it keeps overflowing, right? It flows out, and that water's got to go somewhere. And if that water is grace and love and forgiveness, if that's what we're receiving, it's going to flow out to other people. That's just human beings. You got it? And if we close our hearts, we don't let the water in, our hearts become dry deserts, parched, and it starts to crack, right? And it's impossible then to give people water if you're dry inside. Uh, we are ministers of reconciliation. So uh, you guys know the three R's of renew? Oh, Vision League. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it's all inside my head anyway. Uh, so if you look on our Renew, in our Google Drive, our Renew kind of grow, there's, these, there's this folder called Vision and Strategy Documents. So when we're first starting our church and planting, you know, every church has like a tagline, three words, right? Food, folks, and fun. Or for us, it's uh, restoration, no, restoration, reconciliation, and relevance, Right. And, and then so I wrote a document, me and Chris Mitchell wrote a document um, about each thing, each R. And so for the reconciliation page, um, here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's a little excerpt of it. A catalyst in the work of restoration in the world is the reconciliation of relationships. Reconciliation between God and people and people with one another. Our God desires reconciliation, and he calls us together to be ministers of reconciliation in the world. Jesus is the embodiment of reconciliation. As God and man, he stands between holiness and faithlessness, reconciling the broken world to the sustaining Father. The church as Christ's body is witness to the reconciliation of the world. As Renew, we seek to doggedly pursue restoration, the restoration of relationships among individuals, families, cultures, economic groups, and races as, am as ambassadors of God's heart for reconciliation to the world. We will, and then we have, be quick to reconcile and forgive one another while being real and honest in conflict. Secondly, love beyond boundaries by recognizing the dignity of all people and pushing beyond ourselves and our own boundaries. In this way, we seek to extend the table of reconciliation. Be intentionally multicultural and multi-ethnic and value diversity in our worship and leadership culture. And finally, be ecumenical, building partnerships and relationships across denominational lines. So tomorrow, you guys know what tomorrow is? Tomorrow, tomorrow? David? No. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We celebrate MFK's life because he was a gift to our nation, our nation that was torn apart by racial hatred and violence, a nation founded on slavery, the subjugation of one race of people under another because of skin color. In the midst of righteous Righteous indignation, racial tension, violence, brokenness, hopelessness, inequality, and justice. MLK pointed towards hope, towards the possibility of impossibility, reconciliation. And here's a quote 
from Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in a sermon that he spoke on, the, on reconciliation and forgiveness, the power to forgive. He who is devoid of the power to forgive is devoid of the power to love. It is impossible even to begin the act of loving one's enemies without the prior acceptance of the necessity over and over again of forgiving those who inflict evil and injury upon us. It is also necessary to realize that the forgiving act must also always be initiated by the person who has been wronged, the victim of some great hurt, the recipient of some torturous injustice, the absorber of some terrible act of oppression. The wrongdoer may request forgiveness. He may come to himself and like the prodigal son, move up some dusty road, his heart palpitating with the desire for forgiveness. But only the injured neighbor, the loving father back home, can really pour out the warm waters of forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start and a new beginning. It is the lifting up of a burden or the canceling of a debt. The words, I will forgive you, but I will never forget what you've done, never explain the real nature of forgiveness. Certainly, one can never forget, if that means erasing it totally from his mind. But when we forgive, we forget in the sense that the evil deed is no longer a mental block impeding a new relationship. Likewise, we can never say, I will forgive you, but I won't have anything further to do with you. Forgiveness means reconciliation, a coming together again. Without this, no one can love his enemies. The degree to which we are able to forgive determines the degree to which we are able to love our enemies. When we forgive, we stretch our hearts. When we ask for forgiveness, we stretch our hearts. Our hearts are meant to be soft and fertile. A little while back, I, I talked about how love is a tree, right? It isn't a token or an item we possess. It's not you either have it or you don't with this person. Uh, or you fall into love and you fall out in a moment. Love is a tree. It's growing stronger and stronger and it's not, uh, or it's not being nurtured and it's not growing. When we practice courageously the discipline of forgiving others, we grow our hearts. They become more fertile, more open to relationship, more open to God's love and grace in our lives, our own lives, and more apt to continue to offer that love and grace to others. And the question I have for us as we consider how we can grow as followers of Jesus, grow as individuals, grow as a church body, who do you need to forgive today? Um, as we, as the worship team comes up, um, we sing a song, uh, continue to reflect on that. Who do we need to forgive today? Um, and ask God what, what I need to do next.
Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for your words. Thank you for um, teaching us to pray, and thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Um, Help us to be merciful and extend mercy to others, uh, to to forgive others. And I know that uh, many of us have been wronged so much, so badly. I can't even imagine the stories that are out there and the hurt and the pain. And it seems cheap to, be, to just say, oh, we're supposed to forgive people. So I pray that only your Holy Spirit and only your presence can do a work. And some of the, the pain and the hurts that we have go back many, 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 many years. And it, it is sometimes a lot easier to be like, I don't need to deal with that person. I don't need to deal with that relationship. We can just move on. Um, but I pray that you'll give us the courage in the, the small ways in the everyday relationships to forgive uh, people who've wronged us. And then the big things in our lives, the things that are causing uh, a block in our healing, a block in how we love. I pray that you give us the courage and the energy and um, the openness to forgive so that we can be set free. In your name, amen.